that unfortunately today many, many people, I, I would even say Rabbanim, quote-unquote, do not focus on. One of them would be Midas, the importance of Derech Eretz, the importance of having good Midas, which unfortunately gets swept to the side today because, you know, the pursuit of learning Tyra, 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 and then what happens is people have rotten Midas, and like the, gun, the, the girl famously writes, that Tyra is like water, and if somebody has bad Midas, then you water those Midas and they get worse. Welcome to From Forward, a podcast where we have real discussions with real people. This is your host, Yosef Manicheri. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. Welcome, guys, from Forward. Today we have on Ramatis Azarad um, from Ramada Shkol. He's a Rav in Givada Miftar. He's also Rosh Kolo in the Kolo of Givada Miftar and also a Rebbe at Or Sameach. And uh, thank you for coming on. I'm so happy to be here, Yosef. I'm going to say the honest truth, but Yosef might be a little bit embarrassed, but it's a real nachas for me to be here with Yosef. I've been with him for many years. I was his Rebbe in uh, ZAJ many years ago, and it's really beautiful to see how he's grown. And it's an honor for me to be on this podcast with him. Thank you. Thanks for the kind words. Um, so tell the audience, tell, tell us about yourself. I grew up in Farakway, New York, like uh, Yosef might have pointed out earlier. And uh, Baruch Hashem, I grew up, you know, I was nice, standard uh, child, I guess. You know, I didn't become a crackhead. Wasn't too intense. Baruch Hashem. And uh, fast forwarding, I've been zeichet to live in Eretz Yisrael for the past 12 years. And uh, as we speak now, I'm a Rav HaVashu and Givad Miftar. I'm also a Rosh Kol. And uh, Baruch Hashem, it's really a big schus that we're zeichet to live in Eretz Yisrael. It's, it's unbelievable schus that we're zeichet to be here. And there's so much that Eretz Yisrael has to offer every single Jew. And uh, we're, we're, we can't wait to hear what Yosef has to offer. Thank you. And uh, can you tell us about your parents' background? Where they came from when they moved to the States or if, you, if they grew up in Israel originally? My father was born in Eretz Yisrael and then he moved to America where he met my mother, where they got married. My father is Sephardic and my mother is Ashkenazic. So like they say, I have the best of both worlds. Half, half. Half, half. They say Sephardi is the heart, Ashkenaz is the brains. So I got it all. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> and the good looks. I got the mix. Very good. Very good. I have the same. I, have, I, don't, know, I don't know about the good looks, but I have both. When did you come to Eretz Yisrael? When did you come here? Was it for yeshiva or? So I came to Eretz Yisrael a few times throughout my uh, teenager, young adulthood, I guess, teen, more young adulthood. And when I came to Eretz Yisrael in my young adulthood, different tkufas, but there was one tkufa where I actually went to Rabbi Center's yeshiva many years ago. I would say probably 15, 16 years ago. So you did the Super Seder? They didn't have, I don't think they had Super Seder yet. Oh, yeah, bad. it was back, back in the day. I could be, I don't know, you have to ask Rabbi Center when they started Super Seder. But I was there and that was actually, you know, give him a shout out. That was a real turning point in my life. I met a rabbi there, Rabbi Rappaport, who actually really put me on a certain, you know, trajectory of learning Torah. And then after that, I went back to America and I was back and forth. And then I came back here and I was a mashkiach in ZAJ. Yeah, so I remember, no, I remember when you were Rebbe. In uh, DAJ, it was it was really nice. You did a lot of uh, a lot of uh, musr and chizuk and all sorts of like hashkafa. Um, it's good days. So it was like what five years ago? Yeah, five six years ago. And um, when did you start getting like serious about learning? 
when did you get into it seriously where you were thinking maybe this is what I'm going to be doing long, long term? It wasn't just like a Shana Rishona thing. That's a great question. So my Talmidim and Derek actually just asked me that recently. So I don't mind answering it again because it's already out there. Lemaise, the truth is when I came here, I was much like Yosef. I was coming here just for a honeymoon just to go back to America and make cash. But Lemaise, after we came here, and we, the, the trick is, which I tell now my Talmidim and my Avrechim, the trick is you have to tell your wife that you're only here for a short amount of time. And then you kind of like hustler. And after a few years, you keep saying, yeah, one more year, one Zman more year. Zman by Zman. Yeah, Zman by Zman. And uh, many, many people, I know this from the Charlotte, the people that come to ask me, Charlotte, about should they keep one day or two days? They usually come along and say, yeah, we're keep, can we keep one day? We've been here for three, four years already. And like, you sure? Why don't you say you keep one day, you're going back after Pesach. And that's usually what happens. The second they say we're keeping one day, their wife bugs out. And that's the end of that one day. And they're keeping two days for the rest of their life. So truly, that's, you know, that's a certain mahalach that you have to take when you come here because it's definitely very different than when you come from America. It's very comfortable in America. It's relaxing. You know, no one's pushing you online in the supermarket. No one's cursing you out when you get on the bus. No one's trying to close the bus door on you. There's no and buses I, at all. There's no buses, right. There's no buses. Let's say in Brooklyn. And not only that, they close the bus door and then they curse you out that it's your fault that they close the bus door on you. So it's, a, you know, it's, it takes a lot of adjusting. But Lemaisa, so when I came here, so I came here just for a year. But before that, I think it's important to share this because many people go through this such a, such a, uh, I guess we'll call it a, a life-changing moment. It could be life-changing. When I was younger, you know, I was chilling. And what happened was, I got a crazy stomach virus, really, really intense. We're going to, you know, we don't say now exactly how intense it was, which, but it was intense. We'll keep this censored. It was very intense. And I thought I was dying. And uh, it gave me a, a, lot, a couple of weeks to just take a break from everything and to think about life. And that's actually right before I went to Rabbi Santa's Yeshiva. And it really was life-changing. It couldn't have been, it didn't have to be, you know, not that everything has to be life-changing, but for me it was. And even though it was a massive Yusurim at the time, it really was massive Yusurim. Lamai said, Hashem gave me this gift of just changing my entire direction in life because of these Yusurim. And that's really what Yusurim are all about. It was like a mindset change, you're saying? Complete mindset, because I got to disconnect from all my friends, from my whole setting that I was in, from everything that I was doing. I was just in bed for weeks, a bunch of weeks, lost a lot of weight. And Baruch Hashem, from then, things started to pick up in the proper direction. Wow. And was there any specific Rebbe you can remember from your childhood who maybe did something that was really nice and, and that kind of stuck with you? Maybe it was a message or it was some sort of chizuk that, that you remember to this day from childhood? A certain Rebbe. So Rabbi Shai Kohen Shlita definitely had a big impact on my life. He definitely, without him, I wouldn't be where I am today. And he invested a lot in me, and I have a lot of Akar Satayf to him. That's for sure. And I definitely was around him for many, many years. And I picked up a lot from him, a, a lot of very chashavi Yisraelis and Yiddishkeit, that unfortunately today many, many people, I, I would even say Rabbanim, quote-unquote, do not focus on. One of them would be Midas, the importance of Derek Eretz, the importance of having good midas, which unfortunately gets swept to the side today because, you know, in the pursuit of learning Tyra, 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 Tyra. And then what happens is people have rotten midas, and like the, gun, the girl famously writes, 
the tire is like water. And if somebody has bad midas, then you water those midas and they get worse. And I think that, you know, I'm going on a little tangent over here, but no, I continue. Think, but I think that that's the mice. one of the issues with what, what causes many, many youth today to feel a very negative feeling towards Judaism. They see people that are quote unquote rabbis that look like rabbis that, you know, are treated like rabbis, but they're very far from it. And one of those reasons is the incredibly bad midas that some of these people might have because they just never worked on it. It's not, a, we're not judging anyone, but if somebody doesn't work on their midas, then they're going to have bad midas. That's just the way it is. They're going to be chasing after, you know, COVID, etc. So do you believe it's a, it's a lack in, it's a lack of education in the system or is it just, you think it's neglected or what do you think could be something that could improve that? Is it muster? Is it just a mindset change? It's the, again, there's many different systems today and I deal with many different genres, I guess we'll say of Yiddishkeit. But one issue is today is that people are very, very superficial in general. And that's not really their fault, I guess we'll say. Limutschus and Klaisrael is between Instagram, TikTok, YouTube shorts, where the YouTube longs are too long. They have, you don't have the attention span. They don't have the attention span. YouTube shorts is already where they're at. So there's going to be YouTube extra shorts, probably, I would assume. Because YouTube shorts, how long are they? 30 seconds? I think they can be up to a minute. Up to a minute. It's going to be too long soon. Like somebody was just telling me who smokes a lot of pot, that he doesn't even think people really do real drugs anymore because they don't have to because pot is there. So what happens is between smoking a lot of pot and pounding just stupid social media, people become brain dead. And unfortunately, because of that, they come, you know, when it comes to reality, when it comes to life, it's just very hard for them because they're so used to living in Demionis. I don't like the word Demionis because it sounds too yeshivish, but they like living in a world of a fake reality where I think I once said this once in a shir. Now I'm going to copyright it before Yosef steals it. But Instagram is all about somebody with no life watching someone else with no life, thinking that that guy's no life is better than his no life. Just two people or millions of people with no lives all trying to pretend they have a better life on Instagram when their real life, we all know. I mean, some of us know. It's a sad. Yeah. Sad. Wow. And, and when you, when you were, when you were in yeshiva and you started taking learning, learning more serious and you said you had that trajectory change, did you ever think that you would one day be a Reish or that you'd be a Rav Ashur, or was it just like, I want to stay in learning and see where this goes? That's a really good question. Being Sephardic, being blessed to be Sephardic, I would rephrase that. We know that the Iker Limud Atayra is Lasuke Shmaitz Limud So the Iker learning is to, to get to the Halacha Lamaisa. And therefore, throughout my entire learning career, quote unquote, like I would call it, Lamaisa, we tried to get Halacha Lamaisa. Halacha Lamaisa, once you're getting there, so you have a certain direction. As opposed to someone who's just learning, I don't want to say bavir, for lack of a better word, but they're learning to learn, which is also unbelievable and it's amazing schos. It's really a tremendous mitzvah, but they're not, you're not grounded. So if you're not grounded, so your learning could take you in many different directions. If somebody's learning halacha lemaisa, then that takes you to a place of hopefully getting to the next level to be a ma'ira ira So was it actually something that I thought would happen? That's a good question. I don't know. That's really all siyat the Shmaya, and Hashem takes everybody on their own personal journey. 
But automatically, when you're learning halacha, there's it's just a different learning, and therefore you're heading in a certain direction, whether you like it or not. So, so do you believe there's a lack of a lack of halacha focus in the yeshiva system? It's not a belief; it's a knowledge. And I get many shilas from all kinds of different people, and also through the Avrechim and the Kol, Baruch Hashem, had a Kol for a number of years now. And people come to the Kol that aren't even so young, and they've been in other Kolim, and they just haven't learned halacha yet. And we're talking about basic Hilchashah, it's not talking about Chayshim Mishpah, we're not talking so about... How, how much focus do you think should be... Sorry to cut you off. How, how much focus do you think should be on, on halacha? Like two seders of Gemara, Ian Bekias, and then halacha or half-half, or 10%, because most yeshivas have... agendas over here. No, I'm saying most yeshivas have, let's say, a morning, they have, they have like a 45, 45 minutes maybe of, of halacha in the morning. I hear. Yosef is saying 45, I think he's being extra generous. I don't think they have 45 minutes. They have far from 45 minutes. A half an hour, they cap out at a half an hour, and that's in between breakfast and the bathroom break. But Lemaisa, what I would say is like this. We're going to try to keep this as politically correct as possible. Many, many yeshivas don't learn halach at all. One of the reasons is many of the rebbeim teaching in the yeshivas, which they're very big tzaddikim and we love them, and they do much good for Klai Yisrael, don't know halacha. So how are they going to teach halacha if they don't know the halachas? For many, many segments of Klai Yisrael, halacha is something that you ask your local OR. Oh, yeah, well, if you were lucky, if you don't Google it. Today, ready, we Google it, and we have apps for all kinds of different shilas, I'm sure that Elam knows, which also, you know, we discussed in many different forums that those apps might or might not be conducive, and they might actually be detrimental at the end because the Tumachmir or whatever it is. But either way, Yosef is asking a very important question. The question is, how much time should be focused on halacha? And the answer is, it really depends. There's no one shoe fits all. One of the issues yesterday was the Altar of Slabatka's yard site. And I'm sure everybody is aware that he was the father of the yeshiva system, basically, as we know it today. Many of his Talmidim were Rosh yeshivas of the yeshivas that are around today. Chafetz Chaim, Chaim Berlin, Neri Sral, BMG. These are all yeshivas that came out of the Altar of Slabatka's Talmidim. And the Altar of Slabatka had many Talmidim. And from the list of yeshivas we just listed, and there's more, Every one of these Rashivas was extremely different, and their Mahalach was extremely different, and that was the godless of the altar, that he was such a master mechanich, that he was able to have so many different Talmidim, and each one of them was a whole different trip, for lack of a better word. There was a Hutner, there was a Ron Cutler, there was a David Leibowitz, there was a Ruderman, Vechule, Vechule. And therefore, that is today something that's extremely lacking, is we think, you know, there's one shoe fits all, and it's our shoe. Which means I have Yeshiva X and we have a cookie cutter Yeshiva and you have to fit into our mold. If you don't fit into our mold, then it's not for you. And then you have the next Yeshiva and they have their mold. And unfortunately, most Yeshivas, if not all, but I would say most, maybe today already times have changed, that there are Yeshivas that they try to accommodate. So the answer to that, how much halacha you learn, the answer depends who you are. If you're someone who's then you should be learning more halacha. If halacha doesn't talk to you, then learn more Gemara or whatever talks to you. Somebody told me, someone told me recently that uh, he's thinking about moving back to America from Eretz Yisrael because, you know, he's done with Eretz Yisrael. And he went to one of his, you know, I would call them, I don't know, ex-Rosh Yeshivas, but one of his past Rosh Yeshivas, he started to cry because he wants to move back to America. 
And then he said, but you could learn Chumash if Gemara doesn't interest you. And you could learn uh, something that interests you. You don't have to stop learning it completely. And the issue with that is, is why do we have to wait till a person's done and he's moving back to America to start telling him he should learn other things? You should always learn other things. Tyra is infinite. Tyra is incredible. And there's enough Tyra out there for everyone. And we know from Chazal, a person has to learn where his heart desires. And that's not, for, that's not a bedieved. That's not when a guy's almost off the deck. We say, okay, we'll give you something that you enjoy. It's lechatchila. That's what Chazal said. That's what Hashem said. That's how a person enjoys Torah. When a person learns Torah that he enjoys, then he wants to learn more Torah. And it's interesting for him. When a guy is shoved down his throat, Torah that's not enjoyable, day in, day out, and people say, listen, and his Rebbe tells him, eventually you'll enjoy it. O sheken, o shalom. Wow. And how do you think the yeshiva system can help more, more bacharim and more people love learning and, and get into learning? That's a great question. So based off of what we just discussed, again, if a person, if every, it's, I'm not saying it's easy because the yeshiva systems, there's hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands of Talmidim and to make a personal yeshiva for every yeshiva guy obviously is way beyond the scope, way beyond the scope of our yecharlis right now. But at least we should realize that there are many, many different types of human beings and every single person has his netiyah of learning and his netiyah to what he enjoys learning. And therefore, if we would be able to tap into that and give somebody tired, that would be a schmack, tired, that would interest him, tired, that would excite him, then a person would be able to get involved and it will be a schmack for him. And in general, what I've seen, at least with our generation, because there's so many distractions and so shallow and superficial, unfortunately, that's the world that we live in. That's just the way it is, and we have to know how to deal with that. People need to be interested. It has to excite them. It has to talk to them. And when people learn about, many times when people talk about esoteric, they learn about esoteric topics that seem old-fashioned. Chaz Shalom, obviously, Torah is not old-fashioned, but it seems old-fashioned. Like, what am I going to do with this? It's not relevant to my day-to-day life. So eventually, or not so eventually, a lot of times later, you know, sooner than later, they fall off of it. But when a guy's learning Torah, for example, halacha even, that every day is relevant. When he eats, he knows, oh, do I make a bracha? Do I not make a bracha? What do I do? How much do... Mezaynas, hamaytzi, shahakol, shabbos It's things that are consistently occupying their minds and their time. Then it's much more, they get to their reality and they get much more interested. And being that you teach a lot of young adults, um, what do you think is their biggest struggle now in 2023? Is it the phone? That's a great question. So we, t- we touched on it a little earlier. Their biggest struggle is a good question. So a lot of times people like to say, you know, we're going to bleep this out on the recording. It's going to be like, eh. But people like to say porn. Now, porn is an issue. No one's denying that. Anybody with a smartphone today, I don't want to say anybody that's Lush and horror, but came out anyone is going to be involved in those types. And even if they're not watching Mamish, the, the lowest of the low. There's tons of preachers all over the place. You know, people always ask me, my Talmidim, people ask, you know, people on the Kehillah, they say, can we ever, you know, is it usher to watch a movie? And the answer I give them, we could debate it, but the answer I give them is, is if every lady is covered from her elbows down and her collarbone is covered and her knees are covered, then it's mutter. Besides for any other issues, but else the preachers, 
And that's come out impossible today. And we have to realize that even a drop of pizza is, is a diriso. It's also to look at. So therefore, that's for sure happening. Whether a person has a filter, doesn't have a filter, he's watching YouTube, that's going to happen. There's going to be advertisements before the YouTube, advertisements after the YouTube. And that is, unfortunately, a massive issue. But there's always been pizzas. There's chuvas all over the place. Now, the Yehuda, the Vrechaim, the Shlema Kluger. There's tons and tons of chuvas of all kinds of crazy mices that almost sound like 2023. We you know, we don't have to get too specific, but so pritzos and, and, and znus have always been around. It's not a new invention. People have always struggled with znus. And Kayadu al-Arachayim writes in Parshas Achrimois that talking about znus is also bad. Even talking about how bad it is also could cause people to have improper thoughts. So obviously, as an agdama, that's extremely bad and it causes a lot of issues and people have all kinds of misconceptions when they get married. I also give chassan classes. And I see when they call me afterwards and people ask me shalas in general that when they ask me these shalas and I see they're just so far off from reality because of all their misconceptions. But putting all that aside, I wouldn't even call it the biggest issue. The biggest issue is, like we discussed earlier, the superficiality and the, again, the word dumbness is the wrong word, but the, the lack of being in touch with reality. People are not in reality. They smoke an insane amount of pot. I'm not talking about a bunch of 15-year-old teenagers. I'm talking about adults, married people, ultra-Orthodox, across the board. And when people smoke pot, it puts them in a fake sense of reality. And when you mix that with TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, the they're just lost. And I'm going to tell you guys an experiment that I did with one of my Talmudim a bunch of years back. A bacher that was a very, very solid bacher. And he was actually, I would say, hands down, top one of the top guys in the yeshiva. And he told me, you know, Rebbe, why should I stop smoking pot? Look at me. I get up for shacharis. I learn. I'm functioning. I'm doing amazing. And the answer was, you're right. You are doing amazing. But you know what? If you didn't smoke pot, you would be 100 times better off. He's like, come on. Look at me. I'm amazing. I dive in. I learn. Yeah, he put all the plugins. You know, he, he does everything. This Bacher Rabbi Sa'i was a very intellectually honest Bacher, which I give him respect. And after a while, we agreed he's going to stop smoking pot for a month. And he did. He stopped smoking pot for a month. And after a month, he came over to me and said, Rebbe, I'll tell you the truth. You were 100% right. Everything is different. My davening is different. My learning is different. Again, you have to be intellectually honest. But pot puts people in a fake sense of reality. It makes them feel like they're functioning when they're not. They're not not functioning. They're just nowhere near functioning. And people say, okay, what's the deal? It's not real drugs. It's smoking pot. But Lamaisa, it completely cripples the person, especially we're discussing Avoida Sashem over here. If a guy wants to flip burgers in Burger King or in some Jewish burger place, then yeah, you could smoke pot. Could be, could be, it won't be the worst thing in the world. You'd smoke pot, I'll flip burgers. What could be? But if a guy wants to be an Avoida Hashem, to smoke pot and be an Avoida Hashem is Kimat impossible. Not Kimat, I would say impossible because it's nothing farther away that takes you away farther away from Hashem like smoking pot. And of course, the TikTok and all the social media doesn't help. But between the pot and the social media, I think the Sitrach actually had a good, you know, KO, like they say in... Uh, knockout. Knockout, yeah. And uh, why, do you, why do you believe halacha, halacha is so important for, for people to learn in, in yeshiva? 
why do I be, believe Allah is so important for people to learn in yeshiva? Uh, so again, I think I touched on this, but for two reasons. First of all, because the Iker Limud Atayra is La Suke Shmaitz Alibadilcha. So that is, no one argues with that. Everybody agrees with that across the board, no matter if you're Litvish, Hasidish, Sephardic. That is a Pashat step. It's Chazal and it's Pashat. Now, what happens is the discrepancy comes when we say we're learning how to learn. Like they once asked one of the Gedolim, what's a Lamdin? And he said, if you ask anybody what a Lamdin is, they'll say someone who knows how to learn. And I'll say, what's a Gazlan? And they'll say, a Gazlan is someone who knows how to steal. And I'll say, that's not true. A Gazlan is somebody who steals. He knows how to, and he steals. A Lamdin is someone who knows how to learn and learns. What happens is a lot of times we get caught up in the knowing how to learn, and we don't get to the Tachlis. And that's not at fault of any, really, of any system. It's just that there's not enough time. Many of these ideals are beautiful if there was enough time to do it. But a lot of times people, Bachram specifically, they clock out. They're like, listen, we've been doing this for X amount of years. We're not interested. A person learns halacha, there's two things. First of all, it's neget to his life. It's irrelevant. Today, people love things being irrelevant. They're bombarded with so much babamaisas and so many, you know, TikToks, and even forget about TikTok, a guy's like, I don't have TikTok, I don't have Instagram, I just have WhatsApp. So the whole day is bombarded with WhatsApps. The whole day, his phone is binging off the roof. So he's bombarded with information nonstop, and then he's bombarded with more information in yeshiva. So it's tired, it's true, but it's not relevant. This is not relevant, that's not relevant. And if he's not on a level to realize Tyra is the most beautiful thing in the world, and it's the highest level of Avedis Hashem, which many people today are not on that level. Like, listen, it's, I don't really feel it. I don't connect it. It doesn't talk to me. The halacha, on the other hand, the person learns halacha, and it talks to him, and it's relevant, and it's all day, every day. And that's definitely the reason why it changes a person's life, and it's, he starts saying, wow, I did this, and I did that, and he has shilas, and he comes back to ask, and it's interactive, and it's geschmack. And even if a person is not extremely intellectual, like many people today, he comes back. He's like, Rebbe, what did I do? Rabbi, what should I do? I did this. I did that. I thought about what you said in the shir, and now I'm not sure what to do. And it becomes, an, it becomes a lifestyle. And that lifestyle is life-changing. Uh-huh. And to, to hop right back to the other topic that we were discussing before, what do you think is a practical way that, that we can go about helping kids who are distracted by their phones and are not present? What's a practical way to to help kids get back and, and to be more intentional with their learning and their davening and, and their growth? That's a really good question. Again, if it's possible, I would say complete shutdown. Yesterday, not yesterday, a few days ago. Like kosher phones. Like. Right. A few days ago, I know it's not realistic, but I want just to point this out. A few days ago, a few of Rechim and the Kail, we gave a Dafiyamishir, we started to call with a Dafiyamishir. And one of the Rechim mentioned something about not having a smartphone or something. And I said, wow, that is incredible. Now, I unfortunately have a smartphone. That's the truth. I need it. Whatever that means, the word need. I don't need it. That's the truth. But people ask me, Shaila's on WhatsApp. And it's just, that's the reality that we live in right now. But I told him, you know what? That is incredible. And he was shocked. And he said, what do you mean it's incredible? And he said that they asked one of the G'dayim in Yisrael about why people today have internet doesn't even have internet. Let's go, let's backtrack. Forget a smartphone. Doesn't even have internet in this house. Anybody who's American is probably just fainted right now. He doesn't have internet in this house. Yeah, and he said to me, I asked one of the Darlin, well, how come so many people in my neighborhood are getting internet? 
And I said, and he said to me, listen, you know, they use it for good things also. That rabbi is misguided. There could be there are good things on the internet. That could be. But the bottom line is, if anybody's honest, the pros and the cons of the internet, there's no question the cons outweigh the pros by far. Even if people are not watching Cold Over Usser and not doing Cold Over Usser, the amount of brain space, the amount of time the internet occupies is mind-boggling. And no matter who you are, anybody who has a phone knows, it says at the end of the week how much screen time. It's always more than you thought it's supposed to be. Because at the end of the day, we waste time on our phones. That's the way it is. That's the sitracha. The phone is just, it's always being used for something. We don't even know what. And I told this Yid, I'm super impressed with you and keep going. Keep going right there. And he was shocked. He said, you don't know how much chizik you gave me. And another avrech piped in. He said, I also don't have internet. And you don't know how, how crazy it is. Because even in these Jewish publications, kayadua, we don't have, I don't think it's a secret. Even in these Jewish publications, they say, you know, they have all these different types of articles where he texted him and he, she texted her and, and he sent her a picture. And it's not even a shiloh. Of course, everybody has smartphones. That's of course. But Lemaisa, we have to realize that we're crippled by it. Our Avaidus Hashem is, is, is going to get hit. So that would be the ideal to the question that so Yosef like asked. In a perfect world. They're in a perfect so world. Practically, we have, oh. have to go about it. Being, we live in America. Right. So living in America where that's not an option because we live in America. So the answer would be is we have to try to minimize the distractions, which means do I really need these apps? Are these apps actually better for my life? Are they making my life better or worse? And most apps, I would dare to say, are making our life a lot more miserable. Especially the apps that we see all kinds of people that we think are having a great life because they have, you know, yeah, social media platforms. Social media platforms. Again, again, if a guy you know has internet because he needs to book tickets online when he travels, he used to search stuff on Wikipedia. Is it the worst thing in the world? No, it's not the worst thing in the world. But social media again, completely absorbs us and destroys us. It might sound extreme, but that's the reality. And again, also the fact that it's so fake and that superficiality, even when we're not on those platforms, it comes into our daily lives. And as a Yid, and as people are trying to be close to Hashem, if that superficiality gets involved in our Yiddishkeit, then it's Mama Shrekwach. And realistically, People are going to need their iPhones. So what's to kind of go back to this question? What's a practical, a practical way someone can try to limit their time on it? Should they restrict certain apps and only have their banking apps, their their WhatsApp, and, and things they need to communicate with, or should they just check their screen time every day and just kind of be aware to of what you know where they're spending their time on their phone? Like practically, practically is a great question. I will tell Yosef that next podcaster sometime when he's back in America should interview one of these guys who has one of these, you know, anti-iPhone, you know, corporate, I don't know what they're called, gemachs, you know. Practically, it's, it's impossible to answer the question because it's an addiction. Once you realize it's an addiction, then the practically question, checking your screen time will make a difference, cutting out apps, it's all beautiful. End of the day, we're addicted. When we touch our phone, it gets us going. It releases whatever it releases. Nope. Steve Jobs, Machimo, definitely knew what he was doing when he invented the iPhone. And therefore, it's 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 like a catch twenty two. We all know, we all know that the iPhone or the smartphone, whatever we have an Android, is messing us up. And we all keep going back to it because it's an addiction. The same way a heroin addict, a heroin addict goes back to his addiction. It's this, so the practical application is very hard to hear because 
we're going to keep going back to it. If no, but practically, like just have the basic apps. Navigation. Obviously, that would help. Obviously, the less apps, the less distractions, the less is available on the smartphone. Of course, that would help. But end of the day, people pick up their smartphones, I don't know how many times, statistically, 200 times a day. A thousand? Wow. Notice if times a thousand times a day, you sure? No, just like pick it up. That's what I'm saying, yeah. I didn't think that was that. A thousand times, yeah? That's crazy. I think it's over a thousand. We learn new things every day. Yes, is going to Google it after this... I'm not Google, Google Bishas I don't have, have a genius. I can Google it, I can Google it on my own. But uh, again, if that's true a thousand times a day, then just think about how much time we're spending just touching your phone. So even if we don't have those apps, we'll pick it up because for some retarded reason, you know, they invented it, that it feels good. And the Sitra got in there. Just to end off, there are people that are professionals at this. I'm not a professional in this specific trom. But uh, I see the damage that it causes. Right here. So actions like type, typing, tapping, and swiping the phone screen counted as a touch. They found that an average user touches their iPhone 2,617 times every day. Wow. Heavy users clocking over 6,000. Wow. That's insane. That's actually insane. Well, just now, when I picked up my phone to check that, I tapped it three times. Well, that's insane. That's insane. That's wow. the reality. I'm, I'm actually shocked. That's why I kept at, like trying to say, like, what can we actually do about it? Everyone has iPhones. Everyone needs them for everything. It just became the standard. So what, you know, that's why I kept just trying to drill it's that a, It's a great question. And I don't think, by the way, I don't think this has anything to do with Yiddishkeit. It's nothing to do with Judaism. Gaim are struggling with this. Everybody in the world is struggling with this. Anybody who's not extremely shallow and superficial realizes the the damage that the smartphone has caused to humanity. We're not talking about Yiddishkeit. I want to just point that out. We might have been discussing Yiddishkeit till now, but humanity as a whole has suffered tremendously due to the smartphone. Social interactions, or I should say the lack of social interactions because of the smartphone, and et cetera, et cetera. This is not a Jewish problem. This is a global problem. Again, I'm not a professional at this, so we need to ask people that are more you know, equipped to handle this. How do we deal with this? It's a great question. Even, even in the secular world, I saw TED Talks on YouTube and it was, it, was a, it was a woman talking about how she got a smartphone. And I mean, not my bad, I mean, how she got a dumb phone. She switched from her smartphone to a dumb phone. Everyone was laughing at her in the secular world. And she wanted to see how much, you know, how much more focused she would be and productive she'd be with a dumb phone and not being distracted by all sorts of apps Instagram, WhatsApp statuses, TikTok, Snapchat. And she said that she had way more focus. She got better grades. She had, quote unquote, better mental health. More, she spent more family time. She got better sleep. Because some people will go into their bed at night and they'll just be scrolling on, on YouTube or whatever that's going on and they end up staying up for another hour or so. So even, I believe, in the secular world, a lot of people are catching on, you know, they're catching on and seeing how big of a distraction it is mentally. Forget even religion. So wow, it's, it's uh two thousand something a, a day, you know. Two thousand six hundred seventy. That's for the slow guys. Yeah, I'm probably in like three thousand range. I'm assuming. <laughs> That's incredible. You learn new things. You learn new day. things every day. And in your career so far, being a rav and 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 t- also teaching in Orsameach with a lot of young adults, what was the most like memorable moment you could think of when 
you helped a kid or when someone came back and said, you know what, Rebbe, um, I did what you said and that really changed my life or I did this or can you recall anything like that? There are a lot of those moments, Baruch Hashem, you know, it's, it's one of the be- most beautiful things as a mechanech and as a rav is when people come and they voice their hakar satayv. You know, I, I once heard many years ago, I think from maybe Rabbi Orlowik Shlita, that if a guy is expecting to feel gratitude, then chinuch is not the place to be. You know, the, it's one of the most in, in, ungrateful places to be as a mechanech, but there are times where people come back and they actually say beautiful things. And I would I want to just put it out there that Baruch Hashem, we have this cuddle in the morning also, which is a really beautiful place. What I mean by beautiful place is that it's extremely open. What I mean by open is if you walk into that cuddle, there are all kinds of different people in the cuddle. You allow Brits also. Where we have Brits, we have five Brits. Five Brits. Can you guys believe that? Five Brits. That's a nice percentage. We have about 30 people in the curl. And we have five Brits. And actually, an Avich recently just told me, he said, you have to realize that before I came to this curl, if I would see a guy that looks like that, you know, I don't want to get too specific, I would say, listen, this guy, you know, okay, so look at him. You know, he's not wearing a white shirt. He's wearing bloodstones. You know, how serious could he be? Now I came to this curl and I realized that it's ridiculous. He could be more serious than I am. And even though he wasn't exactly being, you know, grateful, but that kind of alarm to me is mamish, unbelievable, because that's really what this is all about. Who are we to start judging because the way he dresses and the way he looks and the way he acts and where he is for Rosh Hashanah decides who he is. Yeah, Lemaisa, every single person could be an Eved Hashem. And we know that Klape Shmaya, we have no clue who's really greater than who, because Hashem doesn't judge anybody in a vacuum. Which means if a guy grew up in Lakewood with all those traumas, could be he's better off than a guy who's, uh, you know, doesn't look as stark as him, or a guy who's starker than him, or we could go either way with this, because we have no clue. But in Shaman, they judge everything exactly with all the different particulars and all the different specifics, and how were his parents, and how was his upbringing, did he get beat, did he not get beat, and v'chule, v'chule. So we really have no clue, and we the only reason we judge this is basic, is because we don't feel good about ourselves. So when a guy in my call who's not young, yeah, he's in his mid-30s, and he tells me, before I came to this call, yeah, I would have said a guy like that. So, you know, I would have listened with half an ear and said, who does this guy think he is? You know, he's stomped some, uh, I don't even know what word he used. But when a guy tells me, I came here, and I realized, every year, every year, mamish, unbelievable, it could be an Eved Hashem. These are Dvarm Shutim, but we're all, we're all guilty of this. We all judge the first second. I think there's another statistic. Maybe Yosef will Google this one also. When we first second we meet someone, we already decided what his deal is. I forgot exactly the line. But we already judged them. We already sized them up. And that's so horrible because so many people are shockingly surprising after we give them a second chance. And they're nothing what we expected. So that definitely was a very beautiful moment that happened recently. But also with my Talmudim that are single... For example, somebody just told me recently that he came back for the fourth year, which is very, very uncommon in our Sameach. Came back just because of me. He said, the only reason I'm back here is because of you, the Rav. And that's an amazing chizuk. And Stam was like putting it out there. Anybody who has a Rav or a Rebbe or anything in between, Shonga Karasatai was incre- incredibly, incredibly beautiful because 
like Rabbi Orlovich said, this is not the business that we're in. This business is not about a car. So most people completely take it for granted that you're going to answer their shilas if you're a Rav. If you're a Rebbe, that's what you're there for. That's your job. So when people show a car, it's extremely gratifying. And he's throwing it out there. You know, the Olam should uh, send out some Akar Sataiv uh, voice notes, you know, make it easy. Well, yeah, something you don't think about. Like in Yeshiva, my, like, Baruch Shem, I always there for me whenever I had any question or anything technical or I wanted to discuss something personal. You just say, hey, Rebbe, can I speak to you? Can I speak to you? Keep bugging your Rebbe till he has time for you. And you, you don't, in retrospect, like after you kind of like think about it, like, wow, you really gave a lot of time. But as a kid and a teenager, you're just like, you know, I'm in yeshiva. Um, that's a job. That's rabbi's rabbi, you know what I mean? Right. And just another question regarding um, having a relationship with a Rebbe. Do you believe that having a relationship with a Rebbe is, is very important, even if someone's in yeshiva and he's in a yeshiva environment? That's a great question. The answer is, first of all, most people, I don't want to say most, many people do not have rebbeim at all. I mean that Baruch Hashem to be involved in the entire gamut and not the entire but a lot of the you know spectrum of Klai Yisrael from Bachrim to Avrechim to Balabatim in the Shul and many people don't have a Rebbe at all they kind of just decide whatever they want whenever they want that's one issue second of all when people are at Bachrim they don't really have a Rebbe they just kind of Decide on you know they you know they have people maybe once in a while that they ask a question to here and there, and a lot of times Bachram would ask me like what do I do if such and such a situation occurs occurs, and I answer this is the answer I tell him I said you have to have a Rebbe that knows you and knows what's up. It's too very important you say this. You could have a Rebbe who's just living under a rock. You could have such a thing. It doesn't mean he's not a good kid. It doesn't mean he's not a tzaddik. Just not he's not in touch with reality, and that's definitely not going to work. Because if you're in Generation X, he's in a Generation Y, and he doesn't bridge that gap, then you got to find a new Rebbe. You could you still have to give him respect, that's for sure. And the second issue is you actually have to have a Rebbe. So having a Rebbe is one step, and having a Rebbe who's in touch with reality and knows you. Many times people ask me Shilohs, and I say, listen, I don't really know you. And answering a Shiloh when you don't really know the person is a daime to answering Shilohs when you know the person. And therefore, many times, I don't even, I'm talking about, forget about Rebbe as a Bachar, I'm talking about Rav as a, an adult. When people ask me Shilohs, I don't know who they are, I try to kind of like, you know, get rid of them, for lack of a better word. I say, listen, ask someone else, I don't really know, because I can't really, many times the Shiloh is not just the halachic Shiloh, it depends on the circumstances, depends on the reality. Depends on who his parents, who his wife, who his kids. There's so many factors. And if you don't know all the factors, many times the psak will be a wrong psak and the advice will be wrong advice. So it's in our best interest to have a personal relationship with a Rebbe slash Rav who knows what's up, and is in touch with reality, and is able to give us the proper advice based on knowing us and knowing the reality. Well, it's very, it's very like you can have the same Rebbe. And you give two different answers. Two different right. And if he's a good Rebbe, that's what will be done. This, a good Rebbe will give 10 people 10 different answers because every single person has a personal shala, has a personal advice, and every person needs a different kivun, a different gang. And that is 100% true. Let's move on to a lighter topic, a more fun topic. This is something that I wanted to just lightly cover. Um, 
why is why is kasha so complicated in israel <laughs> like you hear you hear people say you said light you I, said lighter topic yeah no we're gonna make this fun like robin and mahadran i eat it when it's milked so even my my father-in-law my in-laws are here i eat robin and mahadran i hear and this and like i feel like why is there not like a set food <sighs> that's accepted by everyone and so Yosef asked a trick question because I'm sure he's well aware of being around me for many years that I don't answer kosher questions. People ask me for, people call me up for kosher questions unless it's Mamasha SOS. I say, call someone else. And we'll start with this and people will get the picture. And the reason I say call someone else is because there's no real answer. If a guy's really hungry, he'll eat whatever he wants. We're not talking about people that are ultra, ultra Orthodox who only eat the top tier two, three, Echsherim, and they stop at that, and they'll starve to death if they don't have it. We're talking about the average American, Bacher for sure, and even Avrich. You know, it depends on the situation. If he's not in Yerushalayim, then I'll eat something a little less. And if he's in Yerushalayim, it depends if everybody's looking. It depends how hungry he is. And therefore, I try very hard not to answer Kasha's questions because there's no right answer. But just to give a little answer to that, two main answers. One answer is there's really a big lack of transparency with the consciousness in Eretz Yisrael as opposed to America, which means even though the consciousness in Eretz Yisrael might on paper have higher standards than the, some of some of the consciousness in Eretz Yisrael might have higher standards than some of the consciousness in America, the transparency here is much less. Second of all, like everything else in this country, unfortunately, which is part of the Ikvus of the Meshicha, there is an insane amount of politics. Now, Many Americans come there and say, hey, it's all politics. I'll eat whatever I want. That's not true. It's not all politics. There is a lot of politics. And in this country, unfortunately, because of the politics, so automatically, you know, this is not our sect. So we're going to say it's not a good action. And this is, is our sect. So it is a good action, et cetera, et cetera. Lemaisa, of course, if a guy wants to be safe in Eretz Israel, whether his father comes to town, doesn't come to town, he should only eat you know, the top couple of Hashem, because that's safe. It's called being safe. Does that mean eating the other Hashem are not kosher? Chaz v'shalom. And to speak Lashon and say, this Hashem is this, and this Hashem is that, I don't want to pass him, but I would say it could be it's worse to start talking Lashon about all these Hashem and say, this Hashem is God, treif and treif, and everything's treif, unless it's the Hashem that I hold of, everything's treif. That's definitely not what Hashem wants. Could be, you don't want to eat it, don't eat it. And a lot of times people ask me, you know, Rabbi, I'm going to a Rebbe, Rabbi, whatever, whoever's asking the question, I'm going to my grandparents, parents, in-laws, siblings, and they eat this. What should I do? The answer is don't go to their house if you can't eat the hechsher. Once you're going to their house and you're going to start saying, what hechsher is the chicken? What hechsher is the broccoli? What hechsher is the tomatoes? That gives me anxiety. Don't go to the guy's house if you can't trust the hechsher. If you're going to his house, trust the hechsher. If you can't, don't. Don't go to his house and be holier than thou. That's not what Hashem wants. Again, if the guy doesn't keep kosher, he doesn't keep kosher. We're talking about people that are from, that keep a certain standard of echsherim. Pashtus is that he's, it's not shreif. That's the pashtus. You're right. There are things that are more kosher, things that are less kosher. But again, this is not some of the topic that I enjoy talking about. But the politics is really what gets to all of us over here in Eretz Yisrael. And even though we're Zaycha to live in Eretz Yisrael, which is an unbelievable schos, and everybody in America should be fantasizing about doing this because it's really where it's at. And if a person wants to be real Ebed Hashem, it's a lot easier in Eretz Yisrael. This is what Hashem decided, that Eretz Yisrael should be the place where like it says in the end of the But there's many things we have to deal with over here. 
And one of them is that in America, people don't deal with definitely not as much as the politics of uh-huh. he's this sect, he's that sect, I'm this sect, I'm dark, he's white. In America, you all go to the same shul, go to the same gym, go to the same pool. Yeah, you, are, you lease your car at the same car leasing company. Now it's Israel, no one's leasing, no one's gymming, no one's swimming. So, yeah. <laughs> so they're bored. <laughs> oh, yeah. we're, we're running a bit low on time now, but yeah. I just wanted to finish it off with uh, what, are, what are your plans going forward for the future? What's your mission? My mission is, like it's always been, is to spread tire to Klyosrol and to spread tire, like we discussed in the beginning of this. Like it says, you know, we have to see which, which each person, what they need, what their Yiddish guy needs, and to spread Avas Yisrael without agendas, to spread Avas Eretz Yisrael without agendas. I'm gonna, you know, since we're at the end of here, then I'm going to throw this in there. Sephardic Jewry, Baruch Hashem, did not go through the many traumas that Ashkenaz Jewry went through. And I do not mean the Holocaust and the like, and the Cossacks, that is Shreklach, and Avade, any normal or regular or Bentayr or Safari Jew is in Tsar. I've been to the camps and I cried my heart out over there. And it was extremely life-changing. I was in Auschwitz, it's Birkenau. And it's definitely heart-wrenching. And the Tsars, the Klaus as a whole went through. It's not Ashkenaz and Sephardic. But Ashkenaz Jewry, Ashkafically, went through many, many, many. I'll call them Bombot. They had Shabtai Tzvi, they had Askala, they had Tzioinim. The list is never ending. And therefore, Ashkenaz Jewry today became very, very in their own box, which means, you know, if you say, if you talk about Eretz Yisrael, you're a Tzioini. If you like Mashiach, you're Chabad. If you're Basimcha, you're Breslev. And cetera, and cetera. If you're a Sephardic Jew, these issues don't apply to you. Why? Because you're just Jewish. Eretz Yisrael is Jewish. Mashiach is Jewish. Simcha is Jewish. To go back even further, you know, being into Tzadikim. Today, I mean, it's really split between Litvish and Hasidish, but they cut out tzaddikim because it was too similar to Christianity. In Muslim countries, there was no Christianity. So Sephardim just chill. There's tzaddikim. They love tzaddikim. And on the, everything is beautiful. There's Torah, there's Tfilah, there's Mashiach, there's Eretzel, there's Simcha, and everything applies. So therefore, what we're trying to push, Be'ezer Havaya, is to bring it back. Yiddishkeit as a whole. Kiddushkeit as a whole, we don't say, oh, he's, we start labeling. Oh, he's talking about Yisrael. That's Paslan. He must be Tzayini. Oh, he's Chabad. He's, oh, he's talking about Mashiach. He must be Chabad. And cetera, and cetera. It's not true. Kiddushkeit is an all-encompassing religion, and there's so many factors to being the complete Yid. And therefore, that's our agenda, Bezat Hashem, to just push real, unadulterated, non-traumatized Yiddushkeit, Bezat Hashem. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Shkoyach. Yosef. I just to come for uh, round two in the future. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening, guys. This is Yosef Manicheri from From Forward. Stay tuned. There's going to be a podcast each week. Uh, if you can leave a five-star review on Spotify and iTunes, that would help the podcast tremendously. Have a great day.